there's celebration going on as well, and thanksgiving, they are looking to the Lord as well. So there's a Godward theme in these psalms, and really all the psalms have a Godward theme. They're very honest about life. They don't pull punches about the experience of life. They give us a picture of what it is to be a believer in the world. And the reality is, is at times it's very difficult, very hard. And at times there's cause for celebration. And the call in the Psalms is really to look to the Lord in all those things. So we see this Godward theme. And we also see in these songs of ascent, the songs for the journey, a theme of uh, looking towards Jerusalem. And Jerusalem in the Old Testament was the very place, the geographical place of God's presence. It was the place of God's peace. It was the place of God's people. And so it had a special place in their hearts. It was the place where they met with God. It's the place where they experienced the the shalom, Jerusalem, city of peace. They experienced the shalom of God as they came together. For us as New Testament believers, Jew and Gentile, these psalms are important and instructive for us as well. For they teach us how to live. They teach us how to journey on the path looking to the Lord as we anticipate our final destination, the new Jerusalem, the final place God will create that is the new Jerusalem, the place of his presence, the place of his peace, the place of his people forever. And we need these psalms. We need these psalms because we are on a journey. And and they are meant to inspire us and instruct us. Today we'll be looking at Psalm 124. This particular psalm is a psalm of thanksgiving to the Lord because of deliverance from a deadly peril. And and we'll dig into it shortly. I want to give you a little background before we read it, though, so you can better appreciate it uh, as we read it. It starts out, it says it's a psalm of David. David was the greatest king in Israel, in Israel's history. He was a man with a, a deep heart for God, a deep faith in the Lord. Uh, and he was a, called him a man after God's own heart. He was a king, a shepherd leader of his people. Uh, and he was a picture of the ultimate king to come, who is Jesus. And he was someone who loved to worship, and he no doubt wrote many psalms and many songs for worship. Uh, it isn't always clear when it says in the psalms that this is of David, whether everything in there is of David, but it, it perhaps in Psalm 124, he was the one who wrote this psalm, um, maybe in its entirety. Sometimes as you look through, it looks like maybe they, uh, David might have wrote the original, and then there was some editing done at some point, but... Uh, regardless whether David was responsible for it in its entirety or in part or, or if it was a psalm like one David would write, the point is these are wonderful psalms, the very word of God for us to instruct us, uh, to instruct us and inspire us very much as if David himself were singing before us. This particular psalm speaks of a deadly onslaught of Israel's enemies. Uh, It speaks of some deadly peril. We don't know the specifics. It doesn't say exactly what, and we'll talk about that as we go. But but to be uh, an Israelite, to be uh, an Old Testament believer, and to live in Israel was to live in a country that was actually very precarious. I think we have a map to show of this. Uh, Here's a picture of, of Israel, and... If you look at it, uh, there's a few things that you, we can learn. Is First, that Israel is this narrow strip of land, this narrow strip of, of semi, uh, 
fertile land, particularly as you go northward, it's more fertile. Uh, Positioned between the Mediterranean Sea and the Arabian Desert. It's very precarious in terms of the topography and the climate. Uh, there's two seasons, a dry season and a wet season. And in, it, in the south in particular, it's very arid. Uh, and they are dependent on the winter rains. And if the winter rains don't come, they're in a lot of trouble. So they're always really kind of on the edge of possible drought. So they live precariously just in terms of their climate. It's positioned in a precarious place in terms of their climate. But also, you can see by all those names around there, they're precarious politically as well. This narrow strip of land was a highway, and it, it, it had inside of it the two major highways between the two major power centers of the ancient world. In the south is Egypt. In the Nile region, Egypt, a powerful uh, and uh, historical kingdom that was there for thousands of years. To the north, up in the area of uh, Mesopotamia, are the kingdoms of Assyria and Babylon, and then the Hittites are up there as well. So the major power centers are north and south of them, and they are the highway where those powerful people travel. So they would go right through Israel. So they lived in a place where they were precarious politically and and in their climate. They were positioned in a place where they had to be ever dependent on God, ever dependent on God for protection, ever dependent on God for deliverance. They were... I, I would, I mean, reading God's mind a little bit here, it doesn't say in Scripture, I can't think of a verse that says this, but God almost put them there for the purpose of being precarious so that they would cry out to him and look to him to provide the rains and the crops and to provide the protection. And I think about the lesson in that, really, to be a believer is really to be in the same place, isn't it? It, We're put in the world. We're not of the world, but we're in the world. We're God's people, yet we're running uh, against the stream of the world. So really to be a believer is also to be positioned precariously in the world so that we have to be ever dependent on God to deliver us and to provide for us. So that's the situation here behind this psalm. They were, uh, had been in danger of some great... uh, attack, it looks like, from their enemies. And this psalm is a celebration of God's deliverance from that attack. There's much for us to gain from this psalm. There's much for us to learn. But before we read and hear from the Lord, let's pray and ask him to speak to us through the reading of God's word and the preaching of it as well. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you like to, in your love and in your kindness to speak to us how we need to hear you God and as we gather together before your word we ask you Lord to do that to speak to us we pray I pray Lord that this will be more than just explaining the scriptures more than just talking about the the this wonderful psalm but by your grace by your spirit as your word is read and proclaimed Lord that you yourself would speak to us that I would disappear that you would get center stage but we would hear you and experience life from you and wisdom and change by your hands. We thank you, Lord, that this is your commitment. You are gracious and good. So come and do this and even more for your glorious name's sake, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's look at Psalm 124. You can follow along on the screen or in your, uh, with your Bible in front of you. A song of ascent of David. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, 
Let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Psalm 124. The lesson I want to draw from this, the lesson I think the Lord would want to instruct us in from this psalm, is this, that grateful worship, grateful worship flows from remembering the danger from which God has rescued us. Grateful worship flows from remembering the danger from which God has rescued us. And that's what I want to talk about. Those are, in that sentence, are the three points I want to hit on. I want to talk about the danger. I want to remember the danger, both for the situation in the psalm and for our our own lives. I want to remember the rescue that God has made, again, for Israel and for us, for God's people as a whole. And I want to talk about grateful worship. So remembering the danger, remembering the rescue, and grateful worship. This psalm is a uh, wonderful poem and just something to realize as we read the psalms. These are songs put in the form of poetry like we experience music nowadays. So in the original language, it has, uh, it has things like meter and rhythm and rhyme. They, the uh, Hebrew language uh, lends itself a little better to rhyme through consonants. In other words, using the same consonants at the beginning of a word over and over or, or what's called alliteration. Uh, sometimes there is uh, what's called assonance, which is the vowels rhyming. That's what we're used to, right? Um, those sort of poems. But these are, are poems, and this is actually a, a very dramatic, very dramatic psalm. And you can see that as you read it, as you recognize, and you see the repetition of things. Uh, lines 3, 4, and 5 start with then. Then this would have happened. Then this would have happened. Then this would have happened. And that's emphasizing just the, the drama of how serious was their predicament. This would have happened over and over. And uh, you see at the beginning, it says, uh, if the Lord had not been, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. We would have been consumed. Uh, we would have been swallowed up alive, much like the ground opened up and swallowed Nadab and Abihu in the, uh, early in the, in the Old Testament. We would have been swallowed up alive when their anger was kindled against us. And actually, uh, some translations, uh, the, when it says anger is kindled, it's, it's, uh, the kindled word is actually an anger word. It kind of means infuriated. It's a double emphasis. When their anger was infuriated against us. So there's, there's a lot of drama here uh, in the psalm about how serious the situation was. And then uh, there's the three thens here. And he goes on to talk about the flood. The, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Three times he's talking about a flood, about a torrent, about raging waters. And certainly for an Israelite, they would have understood this probably in light of their climate. Uh, At times, because it was so dry, 
when the rains would come, they'd have flash floods. And, uh, and they'd have the water would just flow down these uh, gullies and just fill it, and there'd be a torrent. And if anything was in its way, it would just, it would just take it away, much like we see at times in, uh, in semi-arid climates, like in California, when they get a lot of rain, they have mudslides and flash floods. That's, that's the picture here. And he's speaking of the, the anger of their enemies. There's this torrent of hate from their enemies that would have engulfed them. And three times, he says, the waters would have swept us away, would have overwhelmed us. As I studied this, I thought of the horror of the tsunami, the recent tsunami in Japan. And, and, and if, I'm sure many of you saw the pictures on the TV and the Internet, and I was just looking at them again this week. And I mean, it was awful to watch the, the tsunami come in and uh, the, that one town that was in the valley, and, and, and there were pictures you could see the water just sweeping in, and, just, and it was just a valley full of homes and businesses. And the water came in and just swept away, tore down pretty much everything in its path. That's the picture here. The psalmist is talking about, if it hadn't been that the Lord was on our side, we would have been just swept away entirely. We would have been obliterated. We would have been swallowed up alive in the anger of our enemies. That's the situation for them. We don't know the specifics. But we don't have to look far in the Old Testament to see some of the scenarios that would fit for the Old Testament people of God. There were many times, and, and really the story of the Old Testament is, is over and over the, a threat in God's deliverance. One example maybe that inspired this psalm is, uh, is when the Philistine army um, fought against Saul and Jonathan when David, who was soon to be king, was away. And God allowed the Philistine army to come and to overwhelm the army of Israel. And they, uh, the battle at Mount Gilboa, and they basically overwhelmed the whole army. And Saul and his son Jonathan were killed. Maybe it was another scenario. There's a wonderful story in Second Chronicles about Jehoshaphat. We've heard the word jumping Jehoshaphat. In case you haven't heard Jeho- Jehoshaphat, I think it comes from that. I'm not sure how the jumping got in there, but uh, Jehoshaphat was a king. Great name. Jehoshaphat, uh, God is uh, judge, or God has judged is what it means. Um, that'd be a cool name. One of you want to name your kids Jehoshaphat? That'd be really cool. At least for us, it might be. I might get teased a bit. Yeah. But anyhow, King Jehoshaphat um, was uh, a king after David, and and uh, he was a man who trusted God. And at one point in his reign, the the nations of Moab, Ammon, and Mount Seir combined their armies and came against uh, Judah, which was part of Israel at that point. And it was an overwhelming army, and there was nothing that they could do. And this army was going to come, and it was going to sweep them away. It was going to destroy them. And he, uh, Jehoshaphat had an army. He was prepared to fight, but he knew that the battle wasn't merely with having a good army, but it was with the Lord. And so they sought the Lord, and the Lord spoke through a prophet and said, uh, Don't be afraid. Uh, face this army in a particular valley. Uh, he called them to face it and watch the deliverance of the Lord. And so uh, they heard the word and they uh, responded and actually decided that the worship team from the temple would head the army and lead the army out to this valley. And that's what they did. Uh, they put the worship team in front and they worshiped God on the way there and uh, just praised God together. And when they finally got to the valley, there they, they looked and all the enemy was dead. And what had happened was... In the midst of doing all that, God had worked confusion and so forth. Something had gone on, and they started fighting each other. 
and fought amongst each other and wiped out each other. So that when Jehoshaphat arrived there with the army, uh, the, the, the enemy was vanquished. That valley was uh, renamed the Valley of Blessing as a result. So that might have been the scenario behind the psalm, we don't know, where there was something that had overwhelmed them. Um, and they would have been swept away had not the Lord been on their side. You might be thinking, well, that's kind of cool, kind of coolest look at history and think about that, but, but how does it apply to me now? I'm not Jehoshaphat facing the army of the, of the Moabites and so forth. I'm not David with the Philistines. How does it apply to us? We, we really don't live in the same way as Israel did politically right now, thank God. We have experienced a, a good amount of peace and prosperity as a nation uh, and I would submit that a lot of that peace and prosperity is the direct or indirect fruit of the gospel in Western culture over time. Western culture is a mix of many things. It's not a Christian culture uh, per se, but it is Christianized in many ways. And some of our peace and prosperity, much of it I think is from that. So we are not necessarily in a place of being able to relate to at least the, the political situation, though we have been in the past. So how does it apply to us? Certainly... We do face dangers. There are dangers around us of, of, of a different sort, perhaps. The dangers of poor health, the, the dangers of broken relationships, the dangers of harsh neighbors or bosses or family members, the dangers of poor finances, the dangers of safety risk. Every day we drive on the highway, and the American highway is one of the most dangerous places in the world. Uh, try to remind my kids of that. Last year, 33,000 deaths on the American highway. It's a dangerous spot. So we do face dangers, and, and certainly the Lord cares about those dangers, and He wants to deliver us. He wants us to look to Him for those dangers, and I, and I could talk much about that. The, the Lord cares about those things, and, and to live as a believer is to live continually dependent on the Lord for His protection, for His deliverance, and many of those things, and many of those things can be very significant dangers that we face, but there's a greater danger that I want to talk about, because I think it sets all the other dangers in their proper place, and, and I don't mean to neglect those other dangers. God cares about them. He speaks about them in Scripture. But there is a more significant and imminent danger for us all. There's the danger of the situation of our separation from God because of our sin. Sin is disobeying God in His righteous ways, His righteous call. It's not only the act, but it's the disposition that says, Lord, I don't want it your way quite. I want it my way. I like some things about you and, and your world, but I really want it my way. I want to determine my own life. I, I want to be self-determined. I want to be self-made. I, I want to achieve what I want through my own self-effort. I want to do it my way. And there's all degrees of that attitude, all degrees of that approach to life. But the situation is, for all of humanity, that is our natural disposition. And that disposition is fundamentally rebellion against God. It's saying, God, I don't want it your way. I don't want to depend on you at the core of my being. I don't want to walk in your ways at the core of my being. I, I like aspects of it, but I really want to be the one who determines that. And, and that's rebellion against God. And it is... It is cosmic rebellion against God. 
It is really arrogance and blasphemy. And we don't often think about it. It's not pleasant to think about. We don't like to think about the reality of sin, but it is a reality. It is there. We need to talk about it. And the Bible doesn't pull punches about this stuff. And, and for me as a pastor, it's hard sometimes because I think about a message like this. I think about talking about sin and Christ dying on the cross. And I, I always think, you know, there's going to be people who, who will not want to hear that and will be upset. And I don't want to upset people. I want you guys to be happy. Um, I want you all to be as happy as you can be. Uh, and so sometimes I think, you know, I, I don't want to talk about this stuff because someone might not want to come back, and, and I want to see them happy. I want to see them here. I want to see them prosper in life. And there are people that maybe think, well, let's just not talk about sin. Let's just talk about the happy stuff, God's love and, and God's blessing. And we talk a lot about God's love and blessing here, by the way. But I wouldn't be serving you well if I didn't talk about sin. You don't go to the doctor to have him tell you you're well when you're not. That would not be a good doctor. It would make you feel better. Maybe you'd be a real popular doctor for a while and, until people started dying on the doctor. And in some ways that's my job, is to serve you the best I can and to talk frankly about what the Bible talks about frankly for your good. And the reality is if we look at our lives... We must admit, we must face, we must even think about the fact that we are sinners, that we have this insane disposition that we can't shake, that wants to do it our way without the Lord, that wants to rebel against Him. When God's Word tells us to do something good, we have this crazy impulse to do the opposite. And that's sin. And, and God has has taught us in the Word that, that the, the wages of sin, the result of sin, the, the, the result of this choice is to be separated from God. And should we continue on the path of living in sin and not running to God for mercy and help and rescue, our destiny is eternal separation from God. Our current state is present separation from God. Yet we enjoy much of His blessing around us. But we are separated from Him. We are already dead in a sense. And we will be dead forever apart from Him. This is the most significant and imminent danger for us that makes all the other dangers look like nothing. God is good. We understand, I think, when we think about this, the, 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 the rightness of the idea of justice. When we think about um, crimes... We understand it's wrong for someone to rob a, an elderly woman. Why? Well, that elderly woman is, is probably a good person, and, and, and to rob that person is wrong. We get offended when we hear about an, old per, an elderly woman perhaps being robbed. We recognize it's evil to harm a baby because a baby is innocent, and we're, we're shocked by those sort of things, rightfully so. We also intuitively know it's unacceptable to be disrespectful and to disregard someone who's worthy of respect. To treat a great statesman like Abe Lincoln or George Washington or whomever with disrespect, we all understand that that's wrong. But, but God is the summation and the perfection of all these qualities. He is perfect innocence. He is perfect goodness. He is perfect glory and worthiness. 
And so to, to snub God, to reject Him and to turn from Him when He has given us everything, has made everything, even ourselves, He sustains us, He's always good to us, He's always kind, He loves us, to turn against Him is cosmic tyranny and the greatest offense possible. And so the wages of a sin is death. Romans chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, teach us about this situation. We have this to show. Paul speaking to the Romans, God speaking to all of us. It says, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Paul's saying God is continually kind to you. He has been kind to you throughout your life. He's provided for you. He loves you and he wants you to turn to him. But if you continually reject him, you are, in a sense, adding to your account the just result of rejecting him. The just result is God's wrath, God to pour out justice on you. And you are storing up for yourself wrath for the day of judgment when his kindness should be responded to with repentance and faith. That's the most significant and imminent danger any of us face. And I would like to talk about the the other dangers, but this one is the most significant. And it makes the other dangers we may face, uh, be they dying on a battlefield or or even drowning in the tsunami, look like nothing. For these other things are only temporary misery. To be separated from God and to be subjected to His justice, to His wrath, is eternal misery, and it is the most significant danger any of us face, by far. That is the danger. But our psalm talks about a rescue as well. There's more to the story than the danger. There is a rescue, and first we'll talk about the rescue here in the psalm. It starts out, even as it begins, if, the Lord, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. As this psalm starts, even before it remembers the danger, it remembers this, the Lord is on our side. And again, in your Bible, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's how the divine name Yahweh is translated in the New Testament and in our English translations. And it, it means the the name of God given to His covenant people, the name that says, I am the eternal existent one, I am the self-existent one, I am the I am, the ultimate one, the ultimate reason for everything. I am the I am, and I am your God. And so the psalmist is saying, if it had not been the Lord, the, the I am, and then who was on our side? That not only is he the self-existent, eternal one, but he's on our side. And the, the word on our side is actually a, a form of the word Emmanuel that perhaps we've heard before. God is with us. So he is the I am and he is with us. And if it had not been for the one who is the I am, the Almighty One, and if it had not been for this one who is not only the I am, but he's with us, then this danger would have swallowed us up alive. We would have had no hope for the danger. 
this psalmist is celebrating the rescue that God brings. He's aware of the danger. He remembers the danger. And he celebrates the rescue, though, because God is on their side. God has come and worked a rescue. He has not given them as prey to their teeth. They have escaped like a bird from the snare of the followers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. We've been released. We're free. The danger has not consumed us. Perhaps it was Jehoshaphat who wrote this psalm, or or was part of writing this psalm, after that great deliverance. You can hear in those words the joy of the psalmist in light of the danger that they faced. Thinking about the deliverance, the rescue that God has brought, that they are free. And so the psalmist uh, says, Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the followers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. The psalmist is really pumped up about what God has done for them in celebrating it. We've escaped. We're free. We see that in Psalm, and we can read in the history of Israel the situations that would have fit this celebration. It is fitting for this psalmist to celebrate the Lord's deliverance. It is fitting. And and we understand the, the, the... Joy that is appropriate for someone who's been delivered from a great danger. We understand that. Uh, you guys remember the miracle on the Hudson? Anyone? The, the, uh, the plane that was landed on the Hudson River in 2009 in January? Uh, the guy, uh, Captain Chesley Sullenberg, 150 passengers and five crew landed on the Hudson after uh, a flock of geese had got into the engine of the jet. Uh, he was able to... The, uh, land successfully, a water landing, which is very challenging, a water landing on the Hudson. I mean, it was miraculous. Do you think the people got off that plane and when they hit the shore just were like, oh, oh, this is good, okay, now it's time to go to work, you know? No, no, they weren't doing that. I'm sure, I mean, once the thing was landed, I would be turned around like, yeah, high five. Or, well, certainly when I was on shore, I'm sure. And they probably had parties after that. They got back together as a group. Maybe they didn't, but I would think they would. Just to celebrate what happens, the deliverance, the rescue. It was amazing. Why were they so happy? Because they knew the danger they were in. They would all have died normally. But here they are, all of them rescued safely. That's That's what's going on in this psalm. This is a psalm that would be appropriate for the people on that plane. They've been rescued. And although we may never have experienced anything like this, maybe we've never been delivered on the battlefield, maybe some of us have been, but we all have even more reason to celebrate than the passengers on that jet. Because the danger that we are delivered from when we trust in Christ is far greater than anything they faced. And it is far more complete. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. The just penalty for sin is eternal separation. The, the, the holy wrath of God is, a, is a, an awful thing to think about. It's perfect justice. We don't like to talk about it, but you know what? The New Testament talks about it quite a bit. And I think for good reason, because we need to be aware of it. The reality, this awful reality of hell. Listen to Jonathan Edwards' words as he speaks about hell. 
He says, it is an everlasting wrath. It would be dreadful to suffer this fierceness and wrath of Almighty God one moment. But you must suffer it to all eternity. There will be no end to this exquisite, horrible misery. When you look forward, you shall see, you shall see a long forever, a boundless duration before you which will swallow up your thoughts and amaze your soul, and you will absolutely despair of ever having any deliverance, any end, any mitigation, any rest at all. How dreadful is the state of those that are daily and hourly in the danger of this great wrath and infinite misery. Hell is an awful danger. J.I. Packer says New Testament teaching about hell is meant to appall us and strike us dumb with horror, assuring us that as heaven will be better than we could dream, so hell will be worse than we can conceive. Such are the issues of eternity which need now to be realistically faced. And that is the just penalty for sin, for rejecting God, to say, God, I don't want you. And God says, okay, you don't want me? Here it is. Forever. Eternal existence without me. You wanted it, you get it. It's horrible. That danger outweighs every other danger you will ever face, no matter how significant those dangers are. And I don't mean to downplay those other dangers. They are significant. Life is hard. Life is horrible at times. There's times where it's great. There's times where it's not. But, but the worst thing we face in this life is nothing in comparison with the danger we face apart from God. And yet God has worked a rescue. He is gracious and compassionate, and He loves you. And He's worked a rescue for your life. If you are a believer, that is an amazing rescue, better than anything Captain Sullenberg or anybody has ever worked. God the Father, in counsel with God the Son and the Holy Spirit, determined to send Jesus Christ, God the Son, to the earth to live among people like us. People like us who are sinful and broken, a holy, perfect God, humbled Himself, became a baby in a manger, lived a righteous life in every way, obeyed the law of God, obeyed God fully in all His life, always loved the Father, always loved the Father, always loved others, loved his, and honored His Father and His Mother, loved His neighbor, performed good works to bless others, spoke the truth in all things. He loved us and gave his life to the point of his point of obedience to even death on the cross. His obedience to the Father was perfect. He he never earned hell. Matter of fact, by his perfect righteous life, he earned heaven. He earned eternal life. And then he took that righteous life of his, his righteous life that deserves heaven, deserves eternal glory, and he he offered up that righteous life on the cross for you. He offered himself on the cross for you to rescue you from the most significant danger you'll ever face. And he took on himself that justice of God. He took on himself that eternal wrath. And he himself paid for your penalty. He paid your penalty. He satisfied the justice you deserved by dying on that cross and offered himself up in your place 
so that instead of your sin being before the Father and the Father justly punishing you, your sin has been taken by Christ. And now His righteousness is credited to you. And if you would turn from the foolishness of sin and self and recognize your bankruptcy on your own, left to yourself, if you would recognize your need for a Savior who works this rescue, through faith, that rescue is indeed yours. It is yours. And if you have turned and trusted, it is yours right now. And you are rescued right now. You have been rescued right now. You are rescued from the most terrible and and significant and imminent danger you will ever face. You are already rescued. You stand in that. That's what the word salvation means. That's what saved means when people talk about it. You have been rescued. You have been rescued from the holy wrath, the justice of God. And you are safe in Him through faith. You're His. Grateful worship flows from remembering the danger from which God has rescued us. When we recognize the danger, it produces grateful worship. It produces a lifestyle of worship. It changes our perspective. And there's three ways that I want to talk about in in closing about how that grateful worship results in our lives. Three ways that, that God produces grateful worship in our hearts. First, when we remember the danger, remember that we have been rescued from hell. We have been rescued from sin to be forgiven, to be with the Lord forever, to be reconciled to Him. First, it creates joy in our hearts. It creates celebration. It creates worship of God. It creates expressive worship of God. Be it Sunday morning or elsewhere, it creates a heart that says, Lord, you have rescued us. You have rescued me. You are my God. The the biblical picture of worship is one of expressiveness before God. Why? Because that's what we do. We're human. Anyone here go to the the Bruins parade? Anyone? No one? Okay, that's all right. I'm a Bruins fan. Any Bruins fans here? I hope most of us. The Bruins, after 39 years, brought back the Stanley Cup. And it was a great series. The whole series was wonderful. and, and, and so when they got the cup, there was celebration, wasn't there? And then they brought it to Boston, and they had the duck boat parade, and there were, what, millions of people there. And everybody just stood there, and the Bruins just sat there. No, right? People were celebrating. The Bruins were celebrating, pumping fists, or whatever. I, I wasn't there, you know, but, but I'm sure there was expression, because that's who we are. We're, we're human beings. We have, we have thoughts. We have will, we have emotion, we have hands and feet. And when there's something exciting that's gone on, we express it. We worship. And so when we recognize and remember the danger from which God has rescued us, there is expressive, joyful worship of God in every form that there is. That is one of the results, is expressive, deep, heartfelt, sustained worship. And, and, and if we get this, if we get the degree of danger, and the degree of the rescue, we will make the the duck boat parade look like a funeral procession. We should be full of joy and zeal. And on Sunday when we come together to be expressive, I'm not talking about being 
a fool and, and taking attention away to yourself. I don't mean that. But appropriate expressiveness in the forms that God has given us are, are fitting when we re- remember the danger from which God has rescued us. And that danger being hell, damnation, justice. Justice has been done on Christ, and we are forgiven, we are rescued. That's the first result, among many. Second, the trials and challenges of life are put into perspective. The trials and challenges of life are put into perspective. There are some serious trials we all face, and I don't mean to downplay these. They can be formidable. But if you're like me at times, those trials can become everything. My life is all about trial. Woe is me. It's horrible. And I lose perspective. I forget that a bad knee, a a need for a knee replacement, is really nothing. It's really not a problem compared to the problem that God has rescued me from. It puts things in perspective. doesn't mean we ignore it. It just means we put it in perspective and we, and we experience an overcoming joy in life. And that is grateful worship. That is worship of God. To be able to go through the trials of life that would, would undo people normally, that would undo us normally, but to have our perspective so changed by remembering the danger from which we've been rescued that we joyfully go through trial looking forward to our eternal reward, knowing that we've been rescued, knowing that this is only temporary and minor compared to what we've been rescued from. That's overcoming joy. That's worship. And when people see that, they say, there's something different. There's something different here about this person. And and as I look out, I think of many of you who exemplify this. The world sees that. They see that joy. And they know there's something different going on because those things normally undo people. When we remember the danger from which we've been rescued, it puts those things in perspective, puts trials in perspective, and and gives us an overcoming joy. Final point as the band comes up. Grateful worship from... Remembering the danger from which God has rescued us results in zeal and desire to tell others about Jesus. It produces zeal and and sufficient and sustained motivation to tell others about Jesus and to love them in his name. You cannot be properly motivated to love others in Jesus' name and tell them about it unless you recognize the danger from which he's rescued you. You cannot do it by mere duty. You can't say, I'm just supposed to be loving others, so I'm going to go do it. That will work for a little while, but it won't take you over the long haul. You need some sufficient motivation. Sufficient motivation to love others in Jesus' name and tell them about Jesus comes from remembering the danger from which you've been rescued. It comes from experiencing the the, the thoughts and the truth and the emotions of Psalm 124 so that you yourself will say, Blessed be the Lord. I have escaped. I have escaped. I'm free from the snare of the fowler. I have escaped. Let me tell you about it. Believe you me, when those people got off that jet and they went home, they told people about what had happened. And they probably told them again. And again and again and again, and I'm sure they wore out their friends and neighbors with the stories of what happened in their deliverance in that jet. Even more so with us when we get this. It'll motivate us to tell. It'll motivate us to love 
And if people don't want to hear, we'll, we'll be respectful and stop telling, but we will not stop loving them in Jesus' name and letting them know that our love for them is powered by the love of God. We won't stop. The motivation to share with others and to live a lifestyle of outreach, which all of God's people are called to do in every way, is powered by remembering the danger from which God has rescued us. Grateful worship flows from remembering the danger from which God has rescued us. Let's ask the Lord to work this in our hearts as God's people. Let's pray. Lord, we...